Good morning, Foothill Church. Today's scripture is found in Exodus 3, 1 through 22. Please stand for the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptian. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Rebecca. So what would it look like if God wanted to start something big? 
like, like think revival. Think of people coming to repentance uh, and faith in Jesus. Think of churches bursting at the seam, people walking away from addictions. Think of college campuses revived and, and thousands of missionaries sent out to foreign fields. What would it look like if God was going to do something? If he started, what's the start of something really big that God does? You ever thought about this? God is so surprising, and, and I think we see this in Scripture over and over again. We see how surprising it is the way that God goes about doing things. He doesn't do them our way. He doesn't write the story the way we would write it. It looks very different, and we see this in the life of Moses, right? But if we were to ask, what would it look like in our day? Would it be a political victory for your guy in a couple of weeks, would it be a UN resolution? Would it be some speech out in Washington that somebody gives that sort of lights the nation on fire in a good way, right? Would it, would, it, would it be a vaccine for COVID? What would it look like if God did this? God's so surprising, right? So we look at the life of Moses and I want you to see this morning, I want you to see how God is surprising. I want you to see how God is sufficient and I want you to see how God is scrupulous. I'll define that in a moment. I know that's not a word we use a lot, all right? But let's, let's start off by looking at how surprising. And the reason I, I want to say it this way is because I think what Rebecca just read for us, uh, t we, we, this tends to sort of be familiar territory. Man, you don't even have to have read the Bible. You've maybe seen Prince of Egypt. You've seen the Charlton Heston movie, right? You, you know the kind of the story around the burning bush and what happened there. Right, but I, I, I hope what you'll see is if we step back, there are some really surprising things that happen here, okay? And so let's look at those. The first thing I want you to see is the surprising timing of God. Now, Rebecca just read for us chapter uh, three. Go back and let's look at what Lucas looked at last week, just really briefly. Look at chapter two, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And the cry for rescue for slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew one, one uh, commentator says one of the ways we could translate God knew is that God knew it was time to act, okay? So God's saying, man, here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deliver my people. I'm gonna do something epic. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come after them and bring them out of Egypt. But the reason this is so surprising is when we turn the page, if you will, to chapter three and verse one, it says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And what most people believe is that the gap of time between chapter 2, verse 25, and chapter 3, verse 1 is something like 40 years. Like 40 years. Now just think about that. Just marinate in that just for a moment. Uh, in fact, the way the writer writes this, we could say, chapter 3, verse 1 would say, now Moses was still keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. This was the guy Ruel from last week, same guy. He's still there. Nothing has changed except 40 years, right? This means that, that people, when God decided in chapter three, verse 25, that it was time to act, maybe there was a baby born. That baby is now 40 years old. That baby now has children, maybe grandchildren of his own. There are people who have died. 
Like this is this gap we can hardly imagine. Imagine what 40 years, some of you listeners aren't even half 40 years. Some of you are 60 and you think how long I've lived, right? And here's people who have lived now. God's saying it's time to act and, and nothing's happened. See, God is simply not on our timetable. This is so surprising, right? He's never in a hurry. God's plans are meticulous. It says, man, I'm going to carry this out. I'm not in a rush. I'm, if you will, weaving a masterpiece and nobody's going to make me rush through it so that I flub it up, you might say, right? So what we, what, we don't, what, what we don't see is that God is moving in the background. God is doing something. He's bringing about his plan in the fullness of time. And you see this all through scripture. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, right? This is God saying, I'm bringing this about patiently. God's timing never matches our own. He never moves at the speed you and I want him to. You know what faith is? I heard somebody say this. Faith, faith is at least the ability to trust that if you knew everything God knew, understood everything he understands, could see everything that he sees, you would say, God, your timing is perfect. It's never too fast. It's never too slow. It's always on time. This is surprising. If we're not careful, we we miss this between chapter two and chapter three. But the second thing I want you to see is God's surprising location, okay? Moses is in the wilderness. It says he's, he, he's, he's with his father-in-law's flocks on the west side of the wilderness came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. And when the Lord saw that he turned to see it, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses said, here I am, don't come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Here's Moses out in the wilderness, Okay, he's not in the promised land. He's, he's not in Egypt. He's not in some great metropolis. This is not LA or Chicago, New York, London, Paris, right? This is Barstow. This is Needles. This is Koalinga. This is out in the middle of the oil fields of nowhere. And it's here that God says, I'm going to come to Moses. This is where I'm going to start this great work. Do you understand? This is so often how God moves. Walk through scripture. How often God says, I mean, even the book of Hosea, I'm going to draw my people out. I'm going to lure them out into the wilderness because I want to, I want to ravage them with my affection. This is where I want to meet with people. Church, do you know this? That in the midst of this wilderness experience that we feel like we're wandering through and we don't know what one week from the other is gonna hold, that God's saying, man, this is the very place that so often he meets us and he meets us in these very ordinary moments. Moses is, is now become a rancher. He's doing what he's done every day for 40 years, just taking the flocks and feeding them and exercising them and getting them water. And it's here that God decides to meet with him. 
It's here that God says, and then God comes, and when God shows up, he says, this place that I'm now in is now holy. This place is set apart. This place is now holy ground. Any place that God touches, right? Your workplace, your home, the church, wherever you go, it's, it's where God is. That place is holy. That place is meant to be used by God for his purposes, God's surprising location. Do you ever know this? Do you know this church that we feel like we're out in the wilderness that this may be the very place that God decides to meet us? But look at so what else? Look at God's surprising message. Okay, remember, we're we're at uh, 400 years of slavery by the time they walk out of Egypt. Uh, here in several chapters, right? We're, w- w- they, they have been in Egypt for 400 years and listen to what God says to them. Verse six, and he said to them, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of, that gives all these nations. Verse nine, now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring the people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now this, this has to come as a surprise to Moses. He's not like, man, this makes perfect sense as you're going to see, right? He's, God is saying, it's time. I've seen, I know, I remember my promise, my covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Jacob, I haven't forgotten, I will deliver you. Like uh, several years ago, Gabby was my oldest daughter, was maybe, I don't know, five, four, something like that. We were at a church. I was living in Dallas and at seminary at the time. It was a large church and, and we had to pick up our kids from, you know, kind of their Sunday school and get them to the church. And so I, I took Gabby and, and I, I, I was sort of shuffling around with all the kids and I left Gabby at this one place, went to go pick up my other kids and then forgot and went to church service and, and then realized before church had started, oh yeah, I've got to get Gabby. I went and got Gabby. Gabby will harangues me about this to this day, but I mean, she's thinking to herself, I'm never gonna see my dad again. My dad's gone. I'm gonna go home with one of these volunteers. It's over. Like, uh, you know, I'm not sure what's gonna happen. I show back, I'm like, baby, I'm here. I haven't forgotten. I love you. I know you kind of, you kind of came out of my mind for a moment, but man, I am here and I'm I would never leave you. I'm never gonna forget you like that, right? Now, Now think about God. This is God showing up and saying, look, I'm God. I can't forget. I'm not going to do what Chris did to Gabby, right? But I know my promises that I've made. And he's going to say from Genesis to Revelation, you can read it and look and say, God has not forgotten. God has not forgotten his promises. One of the prophets says, can a mother forget her nursing child? Neither will I forget you, my people. God does not forget. So when we look and say, man, God, when will you crush the serpent's head? When will you bring all things to right, right? When, how long, O Lord? Come, Lord Jesus. He answers back, I haven't forgotten. I know what I'm doing, right? I'm I'm, I'm with you in the fullness of time. I'll come again. I've got this. You may not see it. I'm in the background, but I'm working. But now finally, look at God's surprising choice. Now, now let's, let me, let me say it this way. Um, 
Think of, think of these as like scenes in a play. Like so scene two is chapter two and you've got what's happening with Moses and, and you, you sort of get brought up to the heavenlies and you see things from God's perspective and God says, okay, it's time to act. The lights go down, the curtain shuts, they reset the scene, we open the curtains, we put the light on now and the play reveals, all it says is there's Moses out in the field tending his flocks. He's not the prince of Egypt. He, he's not the one that you left. He's now 80 years old. In other words, this is, this is the, the writer saying, here's God's man, right? We see this from God's perspective. Moses is simply not seeing it. In fact, look at verse 11. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He just told him, you're going to go and you're going to do this. And, and he says, well, wait a second, but, but who am I? God, I've tried this before, right? What Lucas showed us in chapter two last week, God, I tried, I tried to deliver my people. I killed an Egyptian. They hated me for it, right? They, they, re Israel rejected me. Who am I? Who, you know, why God? But, but I think this who am I is a deeper question than just kind of like, yeah, w w what about me? Like he looks and goes, I used to be a prince. Now I'm a shepherd. I've moved down the social ladder, not up the social ladder. I am in no position to go and speak in Pharaoh's courts. And, and, and here we find Moses really insecure, needing, desperately needing tons of reassurance from God. Now, now put yourself in this situation. Imagine you have a friend and you're having this conversation with a friend and that friend is like, man, who am I? And you know, what have I done? And I can't do this big thing that I'm being asked to do. What's, what in our, in our culture steeped in self-esteem and not wanting anybody to feel rejected, how do we respond to that? I mean, we say things like, I mean, you got it. Of course you can. You're awesome, right? You're made for this. You've got everything you need. Cue eye of the tiger because you're going to go get it. But that's not what God does. Did you, did you hear how God responds? Look at, look at verse 12. Here's Moses saying, who am I? And God responds, but I will be with you. But I, Moses, will be with, with you. Moses, when Moses asks who am I? God essentially looks back at Moses and says, irrelevant, unimportant. doesn't matter who you are. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not looking for that. What, the, 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 bitter, the, the, the bigger, the better question is not who are you, Moses? The better question is who am I? The answer you're looking for to who you are, to your identity is found in me. John Frame says it like this. He says, he's a theologian. He says, we might think that I will be with you does not really answer Moses' question, who am I? Moses asks about himself, but God replies by speaking about himself. But of course, God more than answers Moses' question, who is Moses? He is the man with whom God is. God has covenanted to stand with Moses in his confrontation with Pharaoh. So Moses is Yahweh's man. That's who he is. Christian, the point is not that you or I are up to the task. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers say it. I've heard Christians say it. God will not give you more than you can handle. Wrong. 
God will give you far more than you can handle. So that in the end, the one who gets the glory is God, not you. He'll look and say, you're not capable of this, but God is. I read a story recently about a, um, uh, a race between two cyclists, right? So one was a professional, like this is what he does, Tour de France kind of guy. The other one was an amateur. And uh, here's what they did. They, they, you know, you'd think, well, yeah, no, no competition. But what they did is they gave the amateur a tricked out $15,000, you know, Tour de France bike to, to, to race this pro. They gave the pro, uh, so, you know, like a $200 Walmart bike. And now, now you guys get on this, you know, circle track and go and race. And you're kind of thinking, man... Well, maybe it's the bike. Maybe it's the bike that wins the race. And then by the end of the race, you realize, you look, and, and the professional has actually beat this amateur, who's good, by the way. He's a weekend warrior. He cycles all the time. But he beats him. Well, what do you, when you hear that, if you were to witness that, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, this guy's amazing. This guy is really good. It's not the bike. It's not the $200 or, or $15,000 bike. It's the, it's the guy. Well, listen, who are we in the story? Like, we're the bike. We're, we're the $200 Walmart bike that God says, look, watch, I'll use you. I'll, 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 I'll bring you into my service. We'll win, and, and, and I'm going to get the glory out of this. This is how good that I am. See, see God, God is so surprising in who he chooses. And he chooses people for his glory, not our own. But the second thing I want you to see is a sufficient God. So look at, let's start off just by looking at, uh, at verse 13. Then Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What do I say to them, right? So he says, look, God, thank you. You say you'll be with me. I'm grateful for that, but I still have questions. What do I say when I come to your people and they ask me, what's his name, right? Now, now look, here's what's happening. Moses is living in a time, Israel's in a time, surrounded by nations where there are literally thousands of gods. There are territorial gods. There are tribal gods. There are gods of certain parts of nature. So Moses is simply looking and going, I've got this menu of options out there. God, which one are you? Which God am I talking to you? Because they're going to want to know. So, so look, God, whoever you are, here's what I can't do. I can't go back to Israel and go, man, okay, so Here's the deal, get this. I was out in the desert uh, talking to a shrub and like, God, that's just not going to go well. You, you gotta help me here, help me understand. And so Moses asks the most important question. In fact, many scholars believe we could think of this as Moses' salvation experience. He asked the most important question question in life. He asks the question that unlocks Exodus. We might even say this is the question that unlocks the entire Bible. Here's Moses going, who are you, God? What sort of God speaks from a flaming bush? What's your name? And so the entire Bible, all of Exodus and the rest of your Bible is written to answer that question. Who is he? And we could say he is the God who wants to be known. I mean, church, listen, think about right now the cultural pressures that are squeezing the church, political pressure like crazy, 
right? There, there, is, there is pressure to conform to the world and its definition of marriage and sexuality. There are racial tensions in the church. There are religious freedom questions that are happening, right? There's all these things that are squeezing it. Here's the bigger question. What's the spiritual battle going on underneath all of that? That there is a God who wants to and will be known. He won't hide. He won't stay private. He will have his glory shown. He will have his glory known in all the earth. The, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Who is this God? That's the point of Exodus. That's the point of the Bible. See, to, to, to know to see, to hear a God who knows and sees and hears. You have nothing, no more important question to ask than simply this, who are you, God? And if you don't know the answer to that, that's the most important question you can answer right now. And so look what God says. Look at verse 14. He says, God says, I am who I am. And he said, say to this to people, I am has sent me to you. And God says, say to this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I'm to be remembered in all generations. Here's where we get that, that divine name, I am. Some of your translations say Yahweh. And there's a long explanation. That is the, that is the consonants for the Hebrew word Jehovah. It's the, it's the uh, vowels. Hebrew doesn't have vowels, but translators inserted them. The vowels of Adonai put it together and you get this Yahweh. But what is that? Why, why does he say that? And why does he say I am? Because it is a, it's a, a it, it, it's the Hebrew word we might say to be. And it doesn't tell us which tense it is. So God could be saying, I was who I was. I am who I am. I, I will be who I will be. I, I, I am always this way. I'm unchanging. I'm self-existent, right? I am, I am with you in every moment of life. Moses, wherever you've been, I am. Where you are, I am. Where you go, I am. I'm here. I will be there. I'm not an Egyptian God. I'm not a tribal deity. I'm not limited by geography. I can't be controlled or tamed. I can't be domesticated. It's interesting, by the way, he speaks them out of fire, right? You're going to see this is, a, this is a picture of God in a lot of the Old Testament, fire and smoke. I mean, fire can warm and reveal, but fire can also burn and destroy. Moses, I'm, I'm, I'm not to be trivialized. I'm not to be trifled with. I am not weak. I'm not helpless. I'm not small. I will not fail. What I say will happen, will happen. That's who I am. Christian, is that the God you pray to? Is that the God of your problems? Is that the God you tell people about when you seek to do evangelism? Is that the God you worship? Or, or is he not, I am who I am. Is he, is he, you are who I want you to be. I need stuff, so you give me stuff. I'm angry, so you're okay with that. I've, I'm sinning, and you'll justify my actions. We have turned God into a making of our own. And it can't help you. 
You know what you need? You know what you need when you're facing difficulties and trials, when you don't know what to do? You don't need to turn inward to what you want and your heart and what you're thinking. No, you need to turn upward. You don't need to be looking and saying, man, you've got this. You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. You need to hear God saying, I've got this. I am. I'm over this. Cast it on me. I am with you. And I'm this God. One of the great things about preaching and walking for us through the book of Exodus is, man, we get to see God in all of his might and fury and power and love and mercy in powerful ways. And we know from Scripture that that this is the same God we serve today. He is a sufficient God. Moses I'll be, I'll be there and I will supply everything you need. You won't, I will. But let's end with this. He is a scrupulous God. What do we mean by scrupulous? Scrupulous just means like meticulously planned, like diligent, thorough, uh, all, you know, really attentive to details. And I want you to see, there's a lot we could say about verses 16 to 22. I simply want you to see the meticulousness, the care with which God plans out things that maybe you've not seen before as you've thought about this passage in Exodus or maybe even read it this morning. I want you to understand that God God understands your needs and my needs and he cares for all of them, right? So, so watch this, verses 16 through 18 and see if you notice anything you've not noticed before. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise you that I'll be with you to bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt the land of the Canaanites and all these other, and into a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at verse 18. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go three days that we may sacrifice to the Lord. You ever notice that? Now listen, the, the Hollywood picture that all of us have gotten, Prince of Egypt, you know, Charlton Heston is this lone warrior who walks bravely, courageously into the midst of Pharaoh's court and says, let my people go with, with the staff in his hand, right? That is not what the Bible says happened. It says, go back, talk to the elders, get this group of men. They're going to listen to you and then you take them and all of you go. He understands. Moses is timid. Moses is afraid. Moses lacks courage. What do we need when we feel like that? Man, we need to know there are people standing with us. That's the church. That's why we have elders at Foothill Church. Now we have to have people knowing that, that we, we stand together. We stand arm in arm. Like Moses looks back and goes, man, I remember I tried to do it on my own. I tried to do this whole deliverance thing on my own and it utterly failed. And God says, Moses, let's try it again, this time my way. Let's do what I've called you to do. You come and handle things the way I want you to handle them. But let's keep going. Look what else happens. He says, look at verse 21. He says, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Look at this. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry 
and for clothing. Remember I told you God is a meticulous planter, planter. Now look, what we tend is we read that passage and I don't know how you've ever conceived of it. It's almost like God is giving a license to steal. It sounds like you can just, you know, hey, you guys, they've been taking advantage of you for 400 years. They've plundered you. They've kept you down. So now it's your turn. You can go and plunder them. You can go and steal anything you want from them. They deserve it, you know, uh, uh, take that suckers kind of thing. It's that sort of attitude. That's not what's happening. What's happening is God's saying, I'm going to give you favor. So, so here's what will happen. Just try this. Walk into one of these Egyptian households where you're a slave and just say to them, can I have that? And they'll say yes. Can you give me that clothing? And they'll say yes. Or maybe there's some that just of their own volition will say, here you go. God is going to grant them favor because they're going to need a lot of provision to be able to go out into the wilderness. And God says, I'm going to take care of that. But now watch this. If you were a mom or dad and you were concerned and you're saying God's telling us to pick up what we've known for 400 years and get out of here, most moms or dads would say, hey, look, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about who? I'm worried about my kids. God, will you provide for them? Well, look at the end of verse 22. He says, you're going to ask them for silver, gold, jewelry, and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. Like He's not saying bling them out in all the silver and gold and jewelry. He's saying, they're gonna, these are slave children. These are children who have, have never maybe had a pair of sandals, never are wearing tattered garbs, maybe walking around half naked. And he's saying, you're going to walk out of there with the finest of, of Hebrew cotton and linen and wool. They're going to be clothed. I'm going to take care of every single one of their needs. Isn't this gracious of God? So, so listen, church, here's what we see. Chapter 3 God is the holy God of the burning bush and the gracious God of giving gifts to his children. He not only gets you out of slavery, he gets you going. He not only saves you, he equips you. He not only rescues you, but he gives you good gifts for the journey. This is the God we serve. Will you trust him? In the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of the waiting for when this is going to be over, in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of your unemployment, in the midst of all the things, can we trust God? Not the God of your own making, you can't, but you can trust the God of the Exodus. He's a holy God. He's a powerful God, but he is a gracious God who gives gifts to his children. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, thank you. We love you and we praise you for your word. And God, we need to be reminded so often in our lives how big you are. Lord, how often we have diminished you. How often we have belittled you in our prayers. But you are the great I am. You are the God who says this will happen and it will happen. You are the God who calls into existence things that, that, that which is you call out of nothing. 
You're the God who will deliver. We're going to watch you deliver the people of Israel with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God. And, and we're to take that. Those are lessons for us as your people to look and say, this is the same God. This is the God who had the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead. This is the God who has the power to deliver me from addiction. This is the God who has the power to restore my marriage. This is the God who has the power to provide for every need that I have. Forgive us, God, for the many, many ways that we have acted as though you are powerless, that we have diminished your value, that we have shaped you in our own image only to find the idol we've created is powerless to do anything and reshape our understanding as we walk through this book of Exodus. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.